Desert Shift podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Chase Beardsley, along with your fellow host, Tyler Cass. We got a couple of things to talk about in the midst of the Stanley Cup finals. Um, obviously, big news happening uh, with trades, extensions, other stuff. But, I mean, it's it's a kind of a depressing day here at the podcast because Tyler Cass is in New York. and New York is not looking so hot right now. Tyler, how's it how's it going over there? I mean, it's the it's not like cold out. It's just there's a lot of um, like smoke, and uh, it's not very nice to go outside. Yeah, uh, smoke is the worst. I mean, I came from Bay Area, California, so I can totally give you experience in that. But Tyler, the smoke cannot stop us from talking about this massive trade that went down. This past couple, these past couple of days, and that is the trade three-way trade between Columbus, LA, and Philadelphia. Let's break this down. So Columbus acquires Ivan Provorov from Philly. Uh, LA acquires Hayden Hodgson and Kevin Kanadin, along with uh, retaining salary on um, Provorov. And then Philadelphia acquires. Get ready for this. Cal Peterson, Sean Walker, Helge Grounds, uh, Columbus's 2023 first-round pick that originally came from L.A., Columbus's 2024 or 2025 second-round pick, and also L.A.'s 2024 second-round pick. Massive trade. Uh, very interesting timing because trades normally don't happen uh, in the midst of the Stanley Cup Finals, but here we are. Danny Briere, GM of the Philadelphia Flyers, making his first move as GM. Tyler, your overall thoughts about the three-way deal? I know you have some interesting feelings about a uh, player in this trade. Um, I, I hate to say this, but the Flyers fleeced this trade um, because they got rid of a player who was doing nothing for them. He just hasn't been good for them probably since the bubble Um and he wasn't even on a good contract. And they turned that into um, first-round picks, second-round picks. Um, and for a team that's, you know, in a tough situation and need, and is going into a rebuild, this is exactly what they needed to do. So I think that um, the Flyers uh, absolutely won this trade. And um, they took on some guys who maybe don't have the greatest contracts, but these are all contracts that are going to be expiring within the next year or two and won't be around when you finally are able to compete. So the Flyers really, uh, they have no, nothing to lose on this trade um, because they traded away a guy who probably wasn't part of their long-term future, a guy that probably wasn't even, he's probably toward trending towards the end of his prime, so he wasn't even going to get any better for you. And you turn that into, um, you know, first-round picks, the graphics is exactly what you need. Um, so it's such a win for the Flyers. Um I really like this for them. Great first move by uh, Briere. Yeah, I mean, um, I have to agree with you there. Let me read off some stats real quick of Ivan Provorov. 27 points in 82 games played last season, but was a plus-minus of minus 17. Uh, his career high is actually the 2017-18 season with 41 points in 82 games. That was his second season in the NHL. He was selected uh, seventh overall back in 2015. 
Uh, last season, he was known for uh, the whole pride jersey fiasco. Um, Columbus now tries to get a defenseman, a uh, big defenseman for their top four. Meanwhile, uh, Philly also acquires a NHL player in Cal Peterson, who uh, is a big uh, icon in Tyler Cass's uh, little fandom. Um, last season, five wins, three losses, two OT losses, a 3.75 goals against average and a save percentage. Get ready for this, of 0.868. <laughs> Um, which is not good at all. Um, his best season, uh, obviously last season was really good for him. He was the main starter up until the playoffs for the Kings. And he was basically buried in the AHL this, this past season. And the hopes and dreams of Cal Peterson finally wore off as he heads to Philadelphia. Um, breaking down this trade, it's interesting because I don't think Columbus really needed Another defenseman. I mean, they have a good defensive core. They were just obviously injured last season. And especially of someone like David Yurchek coming up, it's very interesting and confusing why they acquired Provorov, especially when they're trying to cut down on cap. They obviously traded Bjorkstrand to Seattle last uh, offseason for cap reasons, which is, again, why acquire Provorov. This seems like an all-in push by Columbus. I think Yarmo Kekalainen is really trying to save his job here. We'll talk more about uh, Columbus's stuff in, uh, in a couple minutes. Um, uh, L.A., you know, Hodgson, I know I've heard a little bit about him. Uh, we'll see what if he comes up. And Kevin Kanaden is basically an add-on. That's Coyote's legend right there. Um, and then Philly, I mean – like you said, Tyler, Philly hit a home run. I mean, you get a couple good picks there, including a first rounder, which is really, really nice. Sean Walker is someone that will play good defense for you, uh, especially in the bottom roles. And uh, it's someone that you can flip during the trade deadline uh, for assets. Cal Peterson, we'll see what they can do with that because they are trying to trade uh, Carter Hart reportedly. So it looks like this is Peterson's net going into next season. Um, but, I mean, talk a little bit about Peterson, Tyler. You, you do seem to skip over Peterson a little, a little bit there. Uh, talk to me about uh, the L.A. and Philly side things. We kind of mentioned the Columbus. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I always thought Cal was going to be a long-term starter in L.A. He showed so much promise, especially when he first came up. He never really got that playing time uh, because of quick. And the whole, the whole thing this year was confidence. You could tell every time he went out there that he just looked absolutely defeated. Anytime he would let up a goal, you know, that would be it. Um, he just knew that he was going to run a few quick ones and it would be, he would be down three, four goals already. I thought he was solid in the AHL. Um, so I think that this is not a good situation for him at all because, uh, Going to a team like Philly, who's going to lose a lot of game, who's going to give up a lot of goals, playing in front of a defense that's not going to be good at all. Um, I, I just think that it's not going to help him at all, and especially his confidence. Um, so I just think this is a really bad scenario for just him and just getting back to the level that, you know, I think that he could get to. Even though I do think he'll probably start the season as the flyer starter, because I think Hart's going to be traded. Um, I just think it's such a bad spot for him to be in because um, no matter what happens, 
Falcons, even if he puts up like uh, solid numbers, has a solid season, he's going to be losing a lot of games. And um, that always hurts your confidence. Um, Sean Walker, I always like Sean Walker. Um, he has suffered really uh, bad. I think he was an ACL injury um, back uh, a few years ago during the 2021-22 season, missed like basically the whole season. Um, and he never really looked the same this year coming back from that. I thought he was a step slower than everybody. Um, I always liked him. Uh, I don't really think he's going to do much for the Flyers. He's a bottom pair guy, more offensive defenseman. He, I think he's solid defensively, but um, nothing like crazy. Um, and then with the Kings got back like a few AHL guys, right? Yeah, so the Kings uh, got back Hayden Hodgson and Kevin Kanaden. Yeah, so this is more AHL guys, you know, good for the depth. Kanaden, he was uh, with the, the Panthers, I think I remember him there. Yeah. But yeah, some like depth guys. So yeah, Kanan's kind of bounced around the league the past couple of years. I remember him with Colorado getting shipped to Arizona. Uh, I forgot what deal that was, but uh, he w- and then he was with Florida with Philly this past year. I believe he was with Montreal at one point. Uh, he's been bouncing around the league. Yeah. Let me just read off uh, Sean Walker's thoughts uh, real quick 13 points in 70 games this past season. Like you said, only six games last season was really hampered there by injuries. So, Tyler, your final thoughts on this trade before we move on? Um, I liked it for both L.A. and for Philly. L.A., you, they were able to clear out um, cap space. You know, that eventually led them to be able to re-sign Diver Cobb, which we'll talk about. Um, Philly was <clears throat> able to take in assets that won't be around when they have to compete in a few years. <laughs> and... Uh, <clears throat> really aren't that like important and they were able to get a bunch of uh uh really good draft picks for it um i hate this trade for columbus i'm gonna say it um Trevor was not the guy that they they needed and there's a reason why i think they made this trade we'll talk about that also later and that is their new head coach i think that's the only reason that they made this trade um i'm really not a fan of it for columbus especially because they have so much good young d and they already have Warensky on the left side. So it's not even like Grover's going to be playing top there. Um, he's not even good uh, defensively. He's more of an offensive guy. And you already have a bunch of those with Warensky with Jircek uh, coming up. Um, so I think if they were going to make a move, it would have been, should have been for a more defensive guy. Um, so I just really don't like this trade at all for them. And literally the only reason I think they made it is because of their new head coach. Yeah. Um... I mean, I think Danny Breyer hit out of the park with his first real transaction for Philadelphia as the, as the new GM. I think Philly got a lot of good assets here, and they could work on Cal Peterson as a reclamation project. Who knows? Might bounce back. Um, he's going to have the starting net, as we mentioned. Uh, L.A., I mean, uh, they weaponized uh, getting out cap space because Cal Peterson did have a – little bit of a hefty contract. It, it just helps them uh, re-sign Gavrikov that we'll talk about in a minute. Um, but it also makes me wonder who's going to be the goalies next season because you have Phoenix Copley, but you didn't uh, re-sign Jonas Corposalo quite yet. You wonder if they re-sign him or they go out and trade for one. That seems to be their missing piece right now. And then Columbus, like we said, like, I don't get this trade for Columbus. I think Provorov isn't that great of a defenseman. And if you want to trade for him, 
you're not you shouldn't trade first round picks for him because he's not worth a first round pick he's not that great of a defenseman I don't know what it is about Columbus acquiring Philadelphia Flyers because we talk about Jeff Carr it's it's, uh not even the Kings also it's just the Kings Philly and uh Columbus like the three of them they only trade with each other yeah that's true Jeff Carter was the one that we all speak about and that we all remember um even this past deadline, you know, Kings and Columbus, the Gavrikov trade, and the Kings yeah. and Philly sending Brandon Lemieux there. <laughs> so that was a groundbreaking trade right there. But it was. Yeah. yeah, Columbus, I don't know, especially again with your check coming up. Uh, it seems like they're really pushing for the playoffs here. And we'll talk about something else that's going on with Columbus in a second. But let's get on to some GM's hire, GM hiring. Ah, the tale of Toronto and Dubas continues. But we're going to talk about Brad Tree Living becoming the next GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs first. Toronto hired Brad Tree Living, who was the GM of the Calgary Flames, to be their next GM. Tyler, your thoughts about Tree Living? Actually, I like this hire just because uh, Tree Living is a guy who had to deal with the tough decisions in Calgary, he had to deal with the fallout of Tuchuk wanting to leave, of Goudreau not re-signing. And I, I think that he did what he had to do with the Huberto trade, with the Kadri signing. Even though some of them might not have worked out the best, at the time they looked like good moves. And I think that Toronto has a lot of tough decisions to come up with, especially with that core four. And I think Tree Living is the guy, if you need to make a a move you if you need to make a tough decision to move one of the core four guys i think tree living is the right guy to do it um so i actually i like this hire maybe not as a long-term move but i think that he'll do right in the short term to uh, if toronto wants to move on from one any of the core guys he'll be the guy that will be able to do it and i think he'll be able to do it right yeah i agree with you well he showed that he has the balls to move out big players in calgary obviously moving uh, from Johnny Goudreau, flipping Matthew to Chuck, kind of revamping that core, bringing in Nazem Kadri, bringing in a whole new goaltending tandem. He's known to make these big moves, and that's what Toronto really needs right now. Obviously, their time had kind of run stale, and it's the same with Tree Living. I think his time with Calgary kind of ran stale. Um, but I like this uh, hire for Toronto. If they need to uh, move out Matthews, Marner, Nylander or Tavares, he is the guy that will have the balls to do so. He's got a lot, a lot of uh, stuff to do in preparation for next season because there are a lot of UFAs coming up for Toronto that we'll speak about once the finals are over. But I think he's a good hire for Toronto, and I think uh, it's going to be interesting what they do. And then bouncing off that, the Penguins hire Kyle Dubas as their uh, – it was like president or something. Uh, I forgot the exact title, but it's the title right above GM. But it seems like Dubas is really going to have complete control over the Penguins and what they do. Uh, he is locked under a seven-year contract is what uh, has been reported for the Penguins. And the Penguins have been all over Dubas since it seems like halfway through last season. Uh, Tyler, your thoughts on Kyle Dubas? heading to the Penguins. Oh, uh, yeah. I think we all kind of saw this happening, especially after, like, the fallout um, in Toronto. But 
this is kind of like um the direction that the penguins needed to go they had like a, such an like an old brain um in the front office um they had such like a, just an old you know stuck in the past um just their entire front office was like that and they they get uh, one of the youngest gms in the league um and they're just able uh, to take like this new mindset into next season we always thought the penguins is like this like slow you know, old team. And I think Dubas is going to like try and completely change that. I think he has a lot of work ahead of him. This is a tough, uh, tough roster right now that they built just because, you know, they're a team that's probably good enough to sneak into a wild card. Um, but that's kind of it. They're probably get like swept by a top team in the first round. But you also have, you know, still two of the best players in the league with Crosby and, and uh, Malkin. And, you know, you don't want to waste their final years. And you, you know that you'll be able to compete with this, if as long as you build a solid team around those two, so I think that he has a tough job ahead of him. But I think that um, you know, he was able to do it in in Toronto, where he came in with some good young players, and he was able to build a good team around them. Even though they didn't get far, he still built a good team. I think he'll be able to do the same thing in in uh, Pittsburgh, even though it'll be tough. I uh, I think that he's one of the guys that'll be able to try and fix whatever the the previous front office left for him. Yeah, Ron Hextall literally left that team in a complete disaster. Obviously, the Jeff Carter crap, uh, the Mikhail Granlin contract. Uh, there's just a lot of bad players on this team. And Kyle Dubas literally seems like the best person on this earth to come and flip this around. He's obviously younger, which is exactly what the Penguins need. They need younger faces all around that organization. I think Dubas is thinking and the way he thinks and the way he acts out stuff is going to fit at, fit in well with the new ownership, which is the Fenway group. Um, I, I, he knows how to handle like a core group of players. So obviously in Toronto, you had Marner, Matthews, Nylander, and Tavares here in Pittsburgh, you got Crosby, Malkin, Latang, and you can go ahead and throw Gensel in there if you like to. Um, but he does have a lot to fix. But I think this is the best way the Penguins could go forward. Hiring Kyle Dubas, this is their guy. This is probably the best person that was a free agent to come and fix the awful disasters that um, that Ron Hextall made along with his whole regime. I think it's going to work better with Crosby, Malkin, Latang, and everyone, and Mike Sullivan as well. Um, simply because you hear all the, these rumors that come came out of the Hextall era and that it was not a good era for any of those four players. And this is a guy that will smooth that over. This is a guy who will refill your youth while still making you a competitive team because you got to mention that Dubas also uh, took the Toronto Marlies of the AHL to championship and helped stock the Maple Leafs with more youth, including Matthew Nyes and um, Robertson as well. So I think it's a great hire for Pittsburgh. I think this is the correct way to go. So now let's go into the coaching category. We got two new coaches to uh, talk about, and it seems like every podcast episode we got new coaches to talk about. Uh, let's go with... Uh, the big one in Columbus. The Columbus Blue Jackets have found their new coach. They haven't officially announced it because he's still under contract with another NHL team. 
That is Mike Babcock, the new coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets. The uh, rumor was not greatly hidden, and he's probably going to be announced at the end of this month when his contract ends with the Maple Leafs. But Tyler, I mean, Mike Babcock is back in the NHL. How are you feeling? This is just an awful, awful hire by Columbus. You're not only hiring um, a guy who's not even like a great coach, you're just hiring a bad person. Like, it's just not a guy that, like, if I was a person in that locker room, he's not a guy that I would be fired up to play for every game. And, like, I just I just wonder who's who's going to be up for uh for the list in Columbus because they got a lot of young players, and they hired the coach that does not work well with young players at all. So I just I really just don't understand this at all. And it's not even like he's like that great of a coach anymore. Like um we saw it when he was in in Toronto, he had a, he had a good team around him, and um they just they were just failing to play under him because the guy just kind of like the suitors situation in Calgary. He just wasn't great at adapting to the more modern game. So to me, it just this doesn't make sense at all. Because, you know, you he's just a guy who's not a great person. You know, he doesn't work well with young players at all. And for a team that's trying to, to you know, build their young players up, you know, develop them and, you know, build good chemistry, um, this is like the exact opposite of the person you want about locker yeah, you hit the uh, the nail on its head. This is the exact opposite of a coach you want for your team. You have youthful players like Johnny Gaudreau, David Juracek, uh, Kent or Cole Sillinger, uh, Kent Johnson. You have these core youth players, and you're putting in a coach who does not work well with the youth. I mean, we saw in Toronto, um, we've heard – especially Mitch Marner come out and say that it seems like Babcock was a bit abusive, not like Bill Peters or uh, other coaches that ignored sexual assaults like uh, John Quenville. Uh, but this is a coach that was out of the league for a good reason. And the fact that you're bringing him back, especially the coach, this team is not a good sign. He is way past his prime. This is not a coach that should be coaching anymore. And this seems like Yarmo Kekalainen playing him in his last chance to prove why he should still be GM with the Jackets. And it's funny because I don't think he's done a bad job up until the past couple of months. Uh, obviously, his coaching choices have been awful uh, from uh, why am I blinking on Columbus? Larson. Brad Larson, but also before that, um, and Tortorella. Like, these are three straight coaches that do not have good track records with the youth. These are three straight coaches that might fail. It all comes down to Babcock. We'll see if he does anything, but I don't like this hire for Columbus at all. I really do think if the Jackets don't make it into the playoffs this season, that Kekalainen might be uh, losing his job. Yeah, and the to me, what makes like the the least amount of sense for this is like to me, your main goal as as the GM right now is to build long term chemistry with this team. Um, to me, um, I would have loved if they did what like the Coyotes did and found a coach who you know you could build chemistry with now while the team you know you have a lot of young players 
and then keep um, when you're in your competing stage and trying to win cups. Um, but they hired a guy who is going to, he's not going to help at all build chemistry with his young team. And he's not even going to be the guy that takes you um, when you're ready to like super compete and, and, you know, go win cups. He's not even going to be the guy that's going to take you there. So this is, it's just a guy who's maybe a stopgap for a year or two, which I just, I don't really get because um, to me right now, you want to build all this chemistry, um, especially when the team's super young. So when you're able in two or three years to, you know, I think as Columbus, I think that they're a team that they couldn't make the playoffs next year. I don't know if they compete for the cup, but really in two or three years, they could be cup contenders. And I think this, this whole Babcock thing kind of pushes that back a little bit. Yeah, 100%. The other coaching hire, the Anaheim Ducks have named their head coach. And it is Greg Cronin. And if you don't know who Greg Cronin is, don't be ashamed because neither did half of the fan bases in the league. Cronin is 60 years old. He's been the head coach of the Colorado Eagles for the past five seasons. That's the AHL affiliate of the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, He made the playoffs in three of the five seasons of head coaching that team. He's also known for the Islanders assistant coach, two stints as the assistant coach, actually, 1999 to 2003, and then also 2014-2018. Then he was also assistant with Toronto from 2011 to 2014. Um, And reportedly, the whole thing here is that Paul Correa, who played for the Avs as well as the Ducks, uh, really trust Cronin, uh, talked to Joe Sackick a little about it. And now, welcome to the Crone Zone. Greg Cronin is the next head coach of the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, Tyler, I don't know if you have a lot of thoughts, but your thoughts on Greg Cronin getting hired by the Anaheim Ducks. Yeah, this this guy was an assistant for, for us for a few years, and I totally forgot about him. Um, I, I could be completely wrong on this, but I really don't like this hire because it just feels so similar to Dallas Eakins in the fact that he was – really successful in the AHL no head coaching experience prior to this in the NHL um even but um the thing with the only difference is um Cronin has more experience because he's been assistant for a while he coached at Northeastern but it feels similar because um he does not seem like a defensive head coach he coached the Islanders in a time when we had one of the worst defenses in the whole league. He was like Doug Waits, like right-hand man. Um, when the Islanders were legitimately the worst defensive team in the league, they were they were an amazing offense. They were winning games like eight to seven. But, you know, that was the year um, before Trost came when they gave up the most goals in the league. Even under Capuano, when he was an assistant, he wasn't, they didn't have a great defensive team. And I guess that's not all on the, the assistant coach. You know, you've got to put blame on other places. But he was part of some teams that were really bad defensively. And now he's going to a team that was historically bad defensively. And I just, I think Anaheim should have looked more towards a defensive coach. Maybe even they could have went a route where they went to a guy who didn't have any coaching experience and had success in the minors, but was more defensive minded. And this just seems like such a similar hire to Dallas Egan's. I think they're going to have such a similar season where they're going to score a lot of goals, be good offensively, be terrible defensively. And I, um, he just it just feels so similar to Eakins. That's why I don't like it. I could be wrong. He could turn into a great coach. But right now, this just feels so similar to Dallas Eakins, and I don't think that this really changes anything for them. 
Yeah, it's going to be weird. I don't really have that many thoughts on the, on this hire, but I don't think it's going to be a great season for Anaheim. I think it's going to be really weird. Obviously, there are good things for Anaheim coming, like Adam Pintelli, most likely getting drafted by them. Uh, but you also probably have John Gibson leaving the organization in the next year. Uh, he wants out. It's time to move on. And they don't really have a good defense. So moving on from that, let's get on to some extensions. This includes, let's start off with Montreal's very own Cole Caulfield uh, getting signed to an eight-year extension. $7.85 million is the AAV. He had 36 points in 46 games played with Montreal last season. 26 of them were gold. Uh, obviously injured, but he has thrived under Martin St. Louis. Your thoughts on the Caulfield extension, Tyler? Uh, actually, I like this extension. I've seen some people that don't like it at all, which I don't get because he was on pace for 40 goals this year before he got hurt. And especially um, with the salary cap going to be going up in a few years, um, in like three or four years, this contract is going to be similar to like a five and a half million dollar contract now. And then they're going to, I think Caulfield is going to be consistent 35 to 40 goal score in the league. So I just, I don't get how you can hate locking that up long term. And um, it's just the, they have such good chemistry, him and Suzuki. And, you know, the way to, to be a contender is to lock up your, your, your young talent long term. Um, and so to me, this made so much sense for Montreal. And I don't get why anyone could be hating on this because, you know, right now, maybe it's a little bit of an overpayment, but in a few years, I think it's going to look like one of the best contracts in the league. Oh, I love this extension. Seven mil for a perennial goal scorer. Uh, and someone that really meshes well with the other core players of your group, someone that really responds well under your head coach that you hired. This is a great extension. And he's someone that you're going to look out for for the remainder of his time playing. And the other thing is you want to lock these players down as early as possible. Like, for example, Clayton Keller, everyone called his extension when it was signed a huge overpayment. But look at him now. He's almost hitting 100 points uh, under the new head coach of the Coyotes. Uh, he's a great player. And uh, you don't want to end up in a situation like Jason Robertson when you have a perennial uh, future all-star and you're giving him short-term extensions, so you're gonna get, you're gonna end up paying him more in the long run. So, I think is this is great for Montreal. Um, yeah, good signing. Uh, next one, Andreas Afanasiu signs an extension with the Chicago Blackhawks, two-year deal, uh, worth four point two five AAV uh, for the next two years. He had 20 goals, 40 points in 81 games played of Chicago. They tried to move him during the trade deadline. Couldn't get it done. And instead, they lock him down for two more years. Your thoughts on the Afna CU extension? Yeah, this is just if Chicago can reach the, the cap floor. <laughs> um, yeah, I, he honestly might have been Chicago's leading goal scorer. Like, I, I feel like he might have been. Like um, Max Domi was also up there before he got traded. Yeah, but I think at the end of like, we look at it at the end of the season. I think he might have been their leading goals. What do you have, 20 goals yeah. or something like that? Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, he had a, he had a solid season. Um. This means nothing to Chicago, like, cap-wise. They have all the money in the world to spend. And, I mean, 
Um, you just you, you get a guy who could put the puck in the net, which is you know what you want. Um, especially when you're getting Bedard, you know you're going to want to put solid players around him. Even though Anthony C was one of the worst defensive players in the league, the guy's fast, and you're going to want a fast guy um, for Bedard to play with. And the guy scored. I mean, um, he was hurt a ton in the Kings, but when he played, he he scored. I believe he scored 30 goals a few years ago with Detroit. So, I mean, it's a guy who we know can score, put the puck in the net. And, you know, while it's just Chicago needs needs to spend money, they need to reach the cap floor. So, just what they need to do. Yeah. And also, yeah. on, on Anthony CU's part, you know, good for him collecting the bag because no other team would have given him that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. He's getting the bag for sure. I mean, like you said, Chicago trying to reach the cap floor. Um, especially with Taze and King on their massive contracts. Um, yeah, he, he's fast. He's got flashy moves. Um, and he was good for Chicago last year. Uh, the last extension is the Vladislav Gavrikov extension, two-year deal for Gavrikov, uh, 5.8 million AAV. Um, and he's traded to LA from Columbus trade deadline and between Columbus and LA. Uh, he had six goals and 19 points in total through 72 games played. Your thoughts on Gavrikov in the extension? Yeah, even though the money is like a little, a little much, I think that the two years makes it not terrible because you're going to get him off the books when the salary cap probably goes up. Um, and you're going to get him off the books um, by the time a lot of these guys – um, entry-level contracts are done. Like, by the time Byfield needs a new contract, uh, by the time guys like, uh, what's it, Brandon Clark needs a new contract, um, I'm, when Velarde's going to probably need a new contract because I think they give him a two-year bridge deal. Um, and you're also going to be having, I think, Hopeter comes off the books in two years. So I think that you're going to get a lot of these guys off the books um, in two years by the time Gavrikov hits free agency again. And... Um, on Gavrikov's part, I think it makes sense because he knows that um, the cap's going to be going up, and I think he knows that he could play in L.A. on a good team for two years, and I think that he could get more money once he hits that free agency again in 2026. Yeah. So, um, I, well, I think that the money is a little much. The two years aren't terrible, and he had, I thought he was really good for, for the Kings. Um yeah. Wouldn't it be 2025? 20, uh, 20, he's signed to 23, 24. Oh, yeah, 2025. Yeah. Yeah, 2025 free agency. But, yeah, um, I mean, he put up basically the same amount of points in 20 games in L.A. that he did in over half the season in Columbus. So his offense, though, was much better there, and he played good defensively. And um, I also think he'll be a good, um, you know, he'll be a good mentor for a guy like, Brian Clark because when when Clark came up you could see in his in his game that you know he wanted to jump up on plays he wanted to uh he wanted to try and provide offense but he was scared because you know he didn't want to make any mistakes defensively and they had him playing you know with guys like Sean Walker and Sean Dersey who aren't the most responsible defensively so I think that having you know a more uh, sound defensive defense will make Clark's um, transition into a full-time NHL player so much easier. Yeah, I think it's a good extension. Uh, Kings really won that defenseman that they found of Gavrikov. Signing him to an extension makes sense. A bit pricey, I would agree with you, for Gavrikov, but 
the Kings, especially with Cal Pearson moving out, they had the cap space. Now it's just who are they going to have as their tandem next year in net? Uh, but we'll find out. Uh, next two things are from the uh, Gary Bettman uh, finals day or annual finals press conference. A big one that he mentioned is the official announcement of the Heritage Games, or sorry, not the Heritage Games, the Stadium Series Games for next year. We are getting two of them back-to-back days. Uh, that includes the, the New Jersey Devils and the Philadelphia Flyers playing at MetLife Stadium uh, February 17th, 2024. And the next day, the New York Islanders and the New York Rangers will play an outdoor game also at MetLife February 18th, 2024. Uh, your first thoughts of these two games? Yeah, I'm excited. Um, I'm going to try and get home for this game. I don't know if it'll happen, but I'll, I'll try to be there. Um, the one thing I hate about it is that it's at MetLife. I wish so badly it was at City Field or Yankee Stadium. Um, just because, as as uh, I feel like a lot of New Yorkers would agree with me on, MetLife is not the easiest place to get to, especially for a lot of Islander fans and some Ranger fans who live on Long Island. Um, it's kind of a pain to get to. And uh, so I, I, as much as I wish that it was um, – in one of the baseball stadiums. I'm glad we got another outdoor game. I'm excited to see it. Is this the first um, one at MetLife? I believe so. Because I think that all the other ones were either at Yankee Stadium or um, City Field. And I did they did Buffalo play in one in Buffalo a few years ago? Yeah, that was in Buffalo against Pittsburgh, right? Yeah, so I think this is MetLife's first one. I, I also think that... Um, that it's going to be weird being all if you're if especially sitting all the way up at like I've sat all the way up in at life before for a football game and that place is huge I think there's there's like 80,000 seats there so seeing a hockey game there is just going to be I think it'll be weird um but uh good to see uh us getting back in outdoor game first outdoor game since 2014 I believe um so and the whole the the whole Devils and uh, Flyers, that's not going to be a great game. Um, but uh, I get them putting the Devils there because they are playing in Jersey. So. Uh, I have very strong feelings about this. Um, let me first uh, first come out and start saying Locked on Devils about to go insane about this news. Shout out Trey Matthews. Um, this is stupid. This is stupid. And this is why. How many times have the New York Rangers played in an outdoor game in the past couple of years, Tyler? Um, I feel like not a lot. I feel like they when they, they played against the Islanders a few years ago. Um, and then what was the last time they played one? So they've played in five over the past ten uh, years. How many times have you seen Philadelphia in an outdoor game? Well, they played Boston a few years ago outside. They're they're in there a decent amount for some reason. I don't really know why. They played the one against Boston, two against Pittsburgh. I believe they were in another one as well. Um, but that that's at least three or four. 
Why? <laughs> Why are these teams getting more and more and more outdoor games when there are other franchises in the league that should 100% get outdoor games ahead of these teams? I get the revenue. But at the same time, this is why everyone talks about the outdoor game getting stale. If it was the Islanders and the Devils playing in an outdoor game against each other, that'd be great. Just them. Why the heck do we need the Rangers and the Flyers back? No one gives a crap. It's going berserk how many times these teams are going to get outdoor games it's it's insane. I, I get the Islanders and Devils 100%. They've only been in one outdoor game each. And it was kind of a lame appearance for both of them because the Rangers played them both. And why? Why did they get two games back-to-back? That's stupid. New Jersey should 100% be getting this outdoor game. The Islanders as well. It's in Jersey, obviously. The Islanders haven't gotten an outdoor game in a while. Neither have the Devils. But it seems like it's... Always a combination of the Penguins, Rangers, Bruins, and Flyers getting an outdoor game. And I get it. These are some of the most profitable teams in the NHL, along with the Blackhawks and the Red Wings, who also appear in one every other year. But why? Why, why, why? We talk about expanding the game. And we, and the NHL has done some great things, like the Con Bowl winter classic in 2020 between nashville and dallas that is one of my favorite outdoor games ever that was such a great game such a great setting the outdoor game in nashville was so cool and carolina proved that you don't need a traditional market for an outdoor game to succeed because they played a washington team that had been crap and that had no alex ovechkin they proved that a non-traditional hockey market can host it successfully. It was the, I believe, the fastest-selling outdoor game in NHL history. So why are we giving the Rangers and the Flyers another outdoor game when California hasn't gotten an outdoor game since the Ducks in L.A., or was it the Sharks and Kings in 2015? The, the, Kings, the Kings played outside in 2020. But it wasn't in California. Yeah, that's true. I'm saying give the Ducks and the Sharks an outdoor game. Even L.A., like, it's been four years, I guess. I You could say the same thing about the Rangers. But at the same time, like, again, we see the Rangers. We saw the Rangers five times in the past ten years. We've seen the Kings two, three times, I believe, around that. Um, give Arizona an outdoor game. It's perfect. The weather in Arizona is cold in winter time give arizona a game give vegas a game screw it like give them a game vegas obviously, is, they're, vegas playing, is playing. obviously vegas. they're playing the winter classic this season but it's not in vegas it's in seattle give vancouver another game vancouver hasn't had an outdoor game they've only had one and that's the perfect setting for them what about uh florida we talked about florida perhaps getting an outdoor game yes i get it that maybe the weather there isn't the best but god damn it it's got to be better than seeing the freaking Rangers and Flyers for like the 500th time in the past couple of years. Um, yeah, like it's just annoying. Columbus. Columbus hasn't gotten an outdoor game yet. I believe there's one. No, it's Columbus. The two Florida teams in Arizona haven't gotten an outdoor game yet. Again, put these teams in the outdoor game. At least switch it up. Like this is kind of embarrassing now.
Yeah, I think for a lot of these teams, they're waiting until they get better just because especially like I think that a Ducks-Sharks outdoor game wouldn't obviously it's not going to draw right now as much as like an Islanders-Rangers outdoor game. Same thing goes for the Coyotes. I think these teams get their games eventually. There's NHL's trying to wait till till these teams, you know, are contenders. I think they want to put, you know, they want these games on national TV to be good, exciting games, good rivalry games. And that's why I don't really understand putting the Flyers on there at all. But you could have done something like um, Devils Rangers and like Islanders Capitals or Islanders Penguins. You're even keep the Islanders Rangers and go like Devils Sabres or something. That's why I don't get putting the Flyers oh. on there at all. The Sabres, 100%, I would put over the Flyers because, yeah, the Sabres are another team that have had a plentiful of outdoor games. They played against Toronto a couple years back. Or maybe Ottawa. I get that that's not the biggest draw. Or Montreal even. Like, have a New York Rangers-Montreal Canadiens outdoor game. That would be fun. But instead, we put the lowly freaking flyers in here like no one gives a crap about them they're going to be absolute garbage next season i mean you know out of the four teams like only one of them made them made it past the first round this season the islanders snuck in the rangers got embarrassed like it's just confusing because then we also mentioned the teams that haven't had an outdoor game tampa hasn't had their own outdoor game they were in the nashville one they're a successful team they fill out Amelie Arena every year. Look at Florida. I mean, they've been in the playoffs for the past three, four years. They won President's Trophy last season, obviously in the Stanley Cup Finals. Vegas, I mean, biggest successful story in the NHL, arguably, in their whole history. Put them in their own outdoor game. I get it that they're going to be in the one against Seattle, but put give them an outdoor game. That would be so cool in Vegas in Allegiant Stadium. Uh, it's been proven you can be an out, you can do an outdoor game in Vegas. They did it back in the nineties, um, and I get the whole argument about California, uh, San Jose, and Anaheim, uh, you know, being bad. But then you could put LA and Anaheim in a outdoor game. That one could be a very very good game for LA and San Jose because you have a good team in LA, but you also have a good rivalry between these two teams. And the argument is, oh, San Jose shit. Then why are you putting the Devils and the Flyers in the outdoor game? It makes zero sense. I think another cool idea they could start doing is doing neutral site games outdoors because I think that would be cool because they did one in Lake Tahoe. That was such a cool experience from TV. Like, obviously, you couldn't attend. But I don't know, maybe putting one in, like, Kansas City or somewhere, like, where a NHL team isn't kind of like how MLB did their uh, field of dreams uh, stuff. I, I don't know. That would be cool. They do it up in Canada. Obviously Saskatchewan doesn't have an NHL team, but they've done some outdoor stuff there. Um, but yeah, that's just my final thoughts on it. Anything else about the outdoor stuff, Tyler? Yeah. I just, I think that they want to have, you know, these games be entertaining on TV. They don't want blowouts. You know, they want rivalry games. Just why I understand them putting Islanders, Rangers. I understand, you know, um, Calgary and Edmonton getting an outdoor game, Vegas and Seattle. These are going to be fun, entertaining games. And so that's just the one thing. Three of these games are going to be great, and uh, the Devils-Flyers game is not going to be great. And they, I think they could have done a much better better job, you know, booking um, that game. But I, I don't think that you could put a game 
you know, in the New York area and not include the Rangers. That's just this the way I see it. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree, kind of, even though I think it's still stupid. Um, going off that, they also announced the Edmonton Oilers and the Calgary Flames officially playing an outdoor game in Edmonton at Commonwealth Stadium. That's going to be the Heritage game in October. Uh, and then they also released the official image of the 2024 Winter Classic in Seattle, which is the one I hope to be attending, fingers crossed, between Seattle and Vegas. And then they also released the image, the logo of the Toronto uh, Maple Leafs hosting the All-Star Game in 2024 next season. The logo kind of looks like Carl's Jr., but yeah, what can I say? Gotta admit, it looks like Carl's Jr. But out of the four outdoor games, Tyler... Uh, which is Edmonton and Calgary in Edmonton, Seattle and Vegas in Seattle, and then Islanders, Rangers, uh, New Jersey, Devils, Flyers in Jersey. Uh, I think we know which one you're most excited for, but which one are you most excited for? Uh, I'm excited to see the Islanders back at I'm back outside. It's been been a long time. Um, I was what was that, in 2014. Uh, I was in middle school, I think, the last time I was on the outdoor game. Maybe we get some nice jerseys this time because I wasn't a big fan of the ones that we wore back in 2014. Yeah, Yeah, we'll see what monstrosity of jerseys come out of this. Um, I think Edmonton's going back to, like, the Edmonton Eskimos or some old team in Edmonton. That's been the rumor. It's going to be interesting what the Islanders do because they have a terrible jersey history. I just hope they don't use the same basic logo color scheme again uh devils is gonna are gonna have an interesting jersey i hope they don't go back to the christmas tree jerseys rangers i hope they use the statue of liberty flyers most of their jerseys are ugly the one that i'm super excited for is the seattle vegas one i am so excited for that i really hope i get to go first off it's gonna look so cool i feel like and up in seattle it might rain, it might snow, who knows, but it's the Pacific Northwest, it's the farthest west, or farthest west, I think, I, a uh, outdoor game has gone, maybe besides uh, San Jose and Vancouver, um, but it's the most western outdoor game that's been held so far, I believe, besides those two, and Seattle's jerseys have been three for three so far, I have all three of them, they're so sick, I'm so excited, so pumped to see what they do this time around in Vegas. I mean, they've been a mixed bag of jerseys. It's going to be interesting seeing them take a more like maybe heritage uh, route for this, but that's the one I'm most excited for. Hopefully I'll get to go. Uh, Gary Bettman also reaffirmed that the Coyotes are staying in Arizona. Just wanted to quickly mention that. Um, two rumors before we get to our final topic, uh, which is the Pierre-Luc Dubois rumor that he doesn't want to return to Winnipeg this upcoming season. We all kind of expected that. He's been wanting to go to Montreal for what seems like forever. And Alex Dabrinkat also signing, not going to sign or negotiate a new contract with the Senators in the midst of an ownership uh, change, which is taking a little bit longer than I expected. But Batman also reaffirmed that that is uh, being taken care of. Uh, quick thoughts about PLD and Dabrinkat. Well, I mean, I think we all kind of saw Dubois wanting to go out of Winnipeg. I just, I thought it would be next year. I thought they would give him the one year 
um, qualifying offer. I thought he would take it because it's it's solid. I think it's six million. Um, and then he would kind of bank on himself to have a good year and then get a big payday next offseason. So I think it's kind of interesting him wanting out now um, because I don't know how much it, a team would get for him because, first of all, you would have to give him the $6 million qualifying offer. You you don't know if you're locked onto him long-term um, because there's always the chance that um, he just holds out till free agency and walks. So um, I think he's going to want to bet on himself. And um, if you're a team, you know, maybe you want that you have him good for a, a year and then he gets a big payday. Um, but uh, I just I, I really thought that he would play the year out of Winnipeg and then, you know, walk and, and get his bag next offseason. So I'll see what, what Winnipeg does here. I think you're kind of forced to trade him now, but I don't think he has a ton of value. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. He obviously wants to go to Montreal. That's obviously where he's going. And you're not going to get a lot of value back if you're Winnipeg unless you trade him to a contending team who thinks they're going to win the cup next year and Dubois is going to push them over the edge. Uh, Debrinkat could be a good pickup for anyone. It's going to be interesting to see where he goes. And I should also mention Alex Killorn. Uh, Tampa reached out to him, made a, a long-term low AAV offer. We'll see what happens there. Um, also worth mentioning Gary Bettman talked to Joe Quenville and Stan Bowman, or he's going to talk to them along with, uh, Logan Malou at the end of this postseason uh, about returning to the NHL, you know, obviously the huge drama surrounding all three of them. And then also Larry Nachushkin eligible to play next season. No ongoing investigations about him. Uh, the final topic is brief update about the three finals in the three major professional hockey leagues. We obviously know about the NHL. Vegas Golden Knights up 2 nothing to the Florida Panthers, unfortunately. Or fortunately, if you're a Vegas fan and you're rooting for Vegas, Tyler needs to be silent right now. But uh, it's moving back to Florida with Vegas up 2 nothing. Meanwhile, in the AHL, the Coachella Valley Firebirds, in their first ever season of existence, making the Calder Cup final, Joey Decord, ASU Sun Devil, former ASU Sun Devil, leading the pack. Man, um, it's been fun watching the Firebirds, and they will be taking on the Hershey Bears, which is, fun fact, the longest-running AHL squad currently in the league. So the newest squad versus the oldest squad any thoughts about the Coachella Valley Firebirds taking on their Hershey Bears, Tyler, which is the affiliate of the Seattle Kraken versus the affiliate of the Washington Capitals? Joey Decord is going to the going to the finals. Let's go. Yeah, I think this is it's good just for um, you know, you were getting super competitive hockey out in California, which is um just exciting to see. Um also, um, I believe Shane Wright's still playing there, so I feel like this is really good for his his development there. You should be happy if you're a Kraken fan of having him play um, super competitive, you know, um, finals-level hockey, uh, even if it's in the AHL. still good for his development. And um, I, I haven't really paid a, a ton of attention to it, but um, I've seen, like, clips on the AHL's um, Instagram and stuff, and it looks like they're uh, – been pretty competitive uh, and fun games so it's just good for the league i uh, i mean uh kai cartier also has been uh really good 
and um, oh yeah, guess who else is with the Coachella Valley Firebirds, Tyler? Um, who? Chris Drieger. Oh yeah. He was backing up Joey DeCord, so he could be a Calder Cup champion, despite being a NHL level goaltender. Um, but it's been really cool watching Coachella. Uh, they're probably my besides obviously the Barracuda. Uh, my favorite AHL squad in California. Go California. We love uh, watching everyone but the LA teams succeed. Um, Coachella's not like an hour away from LA. So we'll see if they can uh, pull off the uh, Calder Cup in their first ever season. Um, we might go to Coachella next season, and that will be awesome. Yeah. I know a couple of people who have been attending these games, and it looks like a fun environment. They sell out every game at Akershire Arena. So it looks a lot of fun. Um, and they've had some good series, especially against the Calgary Wranglers. That was a really good series, really good goaltending series. Uh, so moving on, ECHL. Uh, the Florida Everblades have a 2 nothing advantage over the Idaho Steelheads in the Kelly Cup Finals, um, going back to Florida. And it's weird how they, how the AHL and ECHL do it. They do a 2-3-2 two, two setup. So two games, then three games, then two games at the ever place. Um, but Idaho is falling behind, which is weird because Idaho was dominating everyone this season. They were by far the team that looks like they were going to win the Kelly Cup. Uh, but the Florida Everblades have something to say about that. Any quick thoughts about them, Tyler? No, I really I don't know a ton about the USHL. Um, I didn't even realize that they were in the finals right now. Um, but congrats to Idaho and Florida. And um, let's hope maybe the best team will win. So, yeah. So, uh, see comes out on top. Yeah. I mean, Florida has two hockey finals going on right now. Um, I believe the Everblades are in Estero, Florida. So there's that. Um, but the Florida Everblades that play out Hertz Arena, they're actually the Florida Panthers uh, ECHL affiliate. Meanwhile, the Idaho Steelheads, uh, they're based in Boise, Idaho, obviously. Um, and they are the affiliate of the Dallas Stars, I believe. Um, so that will be, uh, will be interesting. I, I would root for the Steelheads out of the two because Idaho is such an interesting place to have a hockey squad and Florida's have, have, has had enough, uh, hockey success over the past couple of years, obviously Tampa winning back to back and going to three straight Stanley cup finals, Florida going to the finals this year and winning the president's trophy the every year. And then, um, Everblades won a championship not too long ago as well. So, and they have the Orlando, the Orlando Solar Bears, which is the best ECHL team ever. So that's that's pretty much it. Any other news, Tyler, that you that you have? Um, not really. I think we cover a lot. It's no go go Knights. Uh, go Florida. Hopefully, uh, Matthew Chuck and Bobrovsky can come back. It was a bad game, too, but they're in Panther land, baby. Go Florida. They have sick jerseys, very underrated jerseys, including that baby powder blue jersey, that reverse retro. That's such a sick jersey. 
Um, screw Vegas for having the worst home jersey in all of sports. But that is pretty much doing going to do it for the this episode of the Desert Shift podcast. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, Chase Beers underscore Tyler Cass on Twitter, Tyler Cass underscore. Get ready for more sad Cal Peterson. I miss you tweets from him. Uh, but that again, that's pretty much going to do it. Hope you guys are enjoying the NHL finals, the ECHL finals, and now the AHL finals. Not going to lie. At this point, I might be more invested in that the AHL finals because Coachella is just a fun team to watch. And I did meet Joey Decord over winter break. That was super cool. And got to see Coachella absolutely obliterate the San Jose Barracuda. Rest in peace. Um, but yeah, tune in next time. Next podcast episode, unless something goes insane, is probably going to be the results of the NHL finals. And the final episode of the first season of the Desert Ship Podcast officially coming to a close. So we'll see you then. Have a great rest. Danger. Can't stop me now.